Tonight we're gonna start a brand new series. Judges. No. Book of Judges. Uh, judges. Judge everyone who's not here. <laughs> no, not on Judges. On the Book of Acts. Okay. Yes. The thing we're gonna talk tonight is actually gonna be an introduction to Luke, who is the author of Acts. You may know this. And we're also gonna sort of intro the book of Acts as well. So as far as the author, uh, most of what we know is sort of implied by scripture and then also found in external sources. So uh, a lot of what we know about Luke is other historians or again, Paul mentions and says some things about Luke. And so we know some things about him that way. And then Luke, of course, tells some of the story that he tells includes himself. So the book of Acts is primarily about Peter and Paul and their ministries. And obviously a lot of all, all of the other the of the 12 apostles come into play. And then a lot of the other apostles that are working to do uh, what Jesus told them to do is taking place in Acts. And then Luke talks a lot about himself in there as well. Uh, not a lot about himself. He did not really include an autobiography in, in what he wrote. So we don't know a ton about him, but what scholars have sort of pieced together through external sources and through scripture is that Luke was likely born in Antioch. He was a medical doctor by profession. He was most likely a Gentile. He probably lived in Troas at one point, which is where they found the ruins of the ancient city of Troy, which is kind of a fun little connection there that Luke could have been a Trojan or, or at least lived near there at, for some time. He also could have lived in Philippi, which is near Troas. It's sort of across the sea there. But the reason that that is a possibility is when he's telling his story, there's a few times that we're going to notice when we're going through Acts that he slips into we language rather than they. And all of the time it happens when they get to Troas or they get to Philippi, they either pick him up or drop him off in that spot. So that's where he meets them. So that's why people are like, yeah, he probably lived there. Uh, since that's where the we language changes. They get to that spot and then, then we met up with them and we all went here. And so that happens about halfway through the book of Acts. And so we'll see that as we start going through it. Another fun thing about Luke is that he wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. He wrote most Not more of, books. Right. Not more books. I was actually have written, what about Paul? <laughs> Paul wrote the majority of the books, but pure volume, the majority of the New Testament ha was written by Luke, between the Gospel of Luke and Acts. More than a quarter of the New Testament is, is penned by Luke's hand. Luke reportedly lived to the age of 84, and we don't know exactly how he died, but a couple of Historians say that he was martyred for writing about Jesus. There's some different stories of how he was martyred. Some people say that he was hanged uh, on an olive tree, and others say that he was beheaded 
one of the more fantastical stories. Uh, there's a tradition that he stood before Nero, who was this wicked leader who, like, lit his gardens by the burning bodies of Christians, like, hated Christians. And so this Stinky. this story, yeah, says that Luke stood before him and... Nero said, we're going to chop off your arm for writing about Jesus and, and um, pushing Christianity forward. And Luke said, we're not, we Christians are not afraid of death. We only know it's going to bring us closer to our creator. So they chop his arm off and he miraculously, Luke bends down and miraculously reattaches his arm. And so everyone watching is amazed and over 200 people believe that day, including some of Nero's close advisors. We don't know if this story is true. It's just one of those, the more fantastical ones that's told. And if it is true, it's an amazing story about Luke. He nonetheless did die around 84. And so when talking about Luke and thinking about talking about Luke today, I was sort of praying like, what do, what do I want to like talk about? Because each of the authors, and, and it really anytime you look at just a godly man, there's something that you can pull from their story that's just really easy to, to apply. And so I was thinking and praying about that today, and a verse came to mind. We can go to Colossians chapter 4. Interesting side note about Colossians 4. This is also where we find out through Scripture that Luke is both a medical doctor and not a Jew, because at the end of this chapter, Paul is saying, these people traveling with me say hello. He lists all the Jews and says, that's all the Jews. And then he says, these other people say hello as well. And he lists Luke in those people. Mm. And so that's where we find out he's most likely a Gentile and he calls him a physician or a doctor. But in verse five, this verse came to mind when thinking and praying about this. Uh, Verse five says, walk, in wisdom toward those who are outside, speaking of unbelievers, redeeming the time. That phrase specifically is what came to mind when thinking of Luke. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So, speak with grace, seasoned with salt. This is... Paul says elsewhere to speak the truth in love. It's kind of the same thing. Don't be afraid of saying the hard thing, but say it with grace. Say it with love. Don't say it condemningly. Say the hard thing. Don't shy away from it, right? That would be sweet words where just you're flattering people and you're using those sweet words to make people feel better about themselves. Don't be afraid. Don't back away from saying that tough thing, but say it with grace and say it with love. There's a biblical theme that God has a plan to make use of everyone's time. God has a plan to make use of everyone's time. There's a story, for instance, that happens in Jesus' lifetime where they see a lame man and, and one of his followers says, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born lame or this man was born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus says, no one sinned that this man was born this way, but this happened so that the power of God could be shown through him. And then Jesus goes and heals that man. So we see this theme of God 
making use of everyone's time, both past and future. We've all heard it said that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. This is true of everyone we meet. God loves them and he's got a wonderful plan for their life. But his plan is not only for their future, right? God uses and gives purpose to our pasts as well. He, he, he makes everything sort of make sense in our past and he uses that for his glory. He redeems the time that you've spent and he uses it for his kingdom to further his kingdom. So before Luke meets Jesus, he's sort of a normal guy, a doctor living in a Greek town and helping those who are sick. After Luke meets Jesus, he becomes a doctor to the glory of God. He becomes Paul's personal physician. Every time Paul gets beat up, stoned, or has some sort of medical issue, Luke is there to treat him. And he's pressing on. He's using his past education to further the gospel of Jesus. And he, throughout his life, he brings true healing, uh, not just working with the sick, but true healing to a sick world. The scriptures that he has written have been used time and time again over and over to show the truth and point people towards Jesus. And that's why he wrote what he wrote. So God uses his, because he's a highly educated man, he uses everything from Luke's past. When when he meets Jesus, everything from his past is now pointed towards Jesus. So God uses him to write as I said, the largest portion of the New Testament than any other author, 27.5% if you want to get super accurate. That's how much of the New Testament is written by him. And one prominent archaeologist from the late 1800s, his name is Sir William Ramsey. He was working on a geography of ancient Asia Minor. So this is the area that Paul traveled through a lot of it with Luke and Luke wrote all about it in the book of Acts. But this archaeologist didn't think that the New Testament was written in the first century. He didn't think the Bible was true. And so when he was going to Asia Minor, 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 Asia Minor, uh, he was, he refused to look at Luke for, as a source. And he, Actually, when he was going, he was like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to prove that Luke specifically was false, but that the the, the Bible is not true. That's how he went into this project. But he went through all of his sources and wasn't finding what he needed to find. Evidence of cities and, and different things that would he would be able to make a geography of this ancient Asia Minor. And so he turned to Luke's gospel and he started using it as a source and found things that he should be finding. It's totally according to the, the book of Luke. And he was started to be really amazed by this. So he, he worked on this project. It was his job for 30 years. So rather than at least 30 years, maybe even more, but it was his, his life's work was, I'm going to make the geography of this, of, of Asia Minor. And after a lifetime of working on this thing, I'm going to read you a few quotes here. He, he wrote a lot about it, but one of the things he said about the book of Acts, he says, the book could bear the most minute scrutiny as an authority for the facts of the Aegean world, and that it was written with such judgment, skill, art, and perception of truth to be a model of historical statement. 
He also wrote, I set out to look for truth on the borderland where grace and Asia meet, and I found it here in the book of Acts. You may press the word of Luke in a degree beyond any other historians, and they stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. He also wrote most famously, this is one of the most famous quotes that he wrote, that Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements trustworthy, this author should be placed along the very greatest historians. Mm. Uh, so this guy started saying, the Bible's false, Luke's a hack, nobody, you know, and even stuff, this is one of the most amazing things, is he started looking at Luke, and he said, oh, look, obviously this is wrong, because this area that Luke attributes to ownership to this city it's actually owned by this city over here. So there's another like wrong thing in the Bible. Well, through his research, he found that for this short time, which actually li- lines perfectly up with when Luke was traveling through that area, that that little town was actually owned by the city that he wrote about. So it was perfectly accurate uh, down to the most minute detail. So that's just an incredible piece of information that this historian, this archaeologist, used the Gospel of Luke in the Book of Acts to find historical sites and to map ancient Asia Minor. The two books that Luke wrote are the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Both are written to a man identified as Theophilus. So we can, uh, that was all the intro. We can start the sermon now. We can turn to the Book of Acts. Chapter 1. I have a question. Yeah. I know that he's the one who charted this and wrote down the historical events of the Book of Acts. Yes. But something that intrigues me about it is the amount of people who are in the Book of Acts that are important and that were also involved in the Gospels. Come on. Come I mean, there's no way that he, by himself, accomplishes writing all this, right? Like, he probably had people around him discussing the book. Maybe he, like, gathered information. Yeah, so he wrote as a historian writes, and he 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 included the detail that a historian would include. Again, he's a highly educated man. Even, they, they say, even looking at the vocabulary and the, the sentence structure of how he wrote, they're like, this guy's an educated guy. Like, Yes, he's a doctor, but he's also intrigued. He loves history, and he writes as a historian. So when he is meeting all the apostles, right, there's times as we read Acts, we're going to see him go to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? And so he goes there, and I just imagine him, like, walking around with, like, a lamb's skin or papyrus or whatever and a piece of chalk or whatever they, he was writing with and just taking notes because he's clearly interviewing people because the detail that he has and again the way that William Ramsey says that he's a historian of the first rank that includes not only the geographical stuff that he was studying but the interpersonal things that Luke records so he was interviewing and gathering information from everybody that he could so when he goes to, when he travels to Jerusalem he is more than likely on his free time going and finding people who witnessed Jesus when Jesus was in Jerusalem. He's going and interviewing people everywhere around. He's gathering all this information. He's writing it down. And he's he eventually approached by this Theophilus possibly or 
maybe he wrote to, and we can talk about Theophilus uh, right now, is uh, the, the name Theophilus, both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, they're both written to Theophilus. He puts it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So he's referencing the Gospel, Right, So some people are like, oh, it's all one book. Well, clearly there's one account and the second account. So this is he's referencing the first account of all that Jesus started. And he's writing to Theophilus. Theophilus means friend of God. And I, for a while, wanted to name my son Theophilus. And he sort of mixed <laughs> that idea. She was like, well, what about just Theo? I'm like, that just means God. And I don't know if I want to name my kid God. <laughs> like... But it's a great name, friend of God. Yeah. So some say, okay, maybe he's writing to anyone who's a, a true follower of God, a friend of God, right? And he's just writing in a broad sense. There was a lot of persecution and, the, you know, it, he could also be writing to someone who this is sort of their code name. A lot of the Christians had two names, their given name by their parents. And then once they became a Christian, they become this other name and it sort of acts as a code name. And some people say that could be who he's writing to. One thing that very well could have happened is that this man, Theophilus, the way it's written, a lot of people say it's written as though this Theophilus basically commissioned Luke to be his personal historian and paid Luke to find all the information, use all the information he had already gathered and put it in one or two works and and that way they would be able to have this thing as a history. Um, So we don't know a lot about Theophilus, but those are some some of the most prominent ideas about this man. Either way, whether it's to every Christian, uh, every friend of God, or if it's to a specific man, it is to the friend of God and has been used that way. It, It has become this amazing history, both of what Jesus started and what the apostles continued. And that's what he goes on to say. I'll read verse 1 again. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. This phrase, taken up, can also be translated ascended into heaven. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is sort of a previously on, these first three verses, previously on the Gospel of Luke, and then he's continuing the story. And what we see just from these first couple verses is that Acts picks up right where the Gospel of Luke leaves off. So Jesus gives instruction and leaves. And so what he's saying is, here's how my last thing that I wrote you ends. And we're going to move on and talk about what happened after that. Also, Luke's point in these first two verses is that Jesus began a work and then he sent others out to continue that same work. He says it in verse 1 again, that he wrote of all that Jesus began both to do 
and teach. So this is the work of Jesus. This is the work of God that was started in Jesus and continued through the apostles and is still continuing through us. What Jesus started was the foundation of what is modern day Christianity. And in Acts, we're going to see the first time we are called Christians. And it even says like, this is the city where the the name Christians was applied to all who have faith in Jesus. So this is the foundation work. This is, this is how Christianity started, starting with what Jesus did and said, continuing on with what the apostles do and say. And many Christians are okay with the, and maybe even like excellent at the teaching part of Christianity, but the work of Jesus as a Christian involves doing, not just teaching and believing and knowing in sort of a disconnected way. Conversely, uh, a lot of non-Christians are totally fine with the doing part, like love one another, you know, treat others like you want to be treated. That's totally great and fine, but the teaching part is where they have a problem. Oh wait, Jesus said what about sexual immorality? Like the Bible says what about, you know, relationships between men and women and they get really sort of caught up in in the teaching part of it so they reject it. The work of Jesus, the work of God is both teaching and doing. Over and over again, the Bible says that in the end every person will be judged according to their works according to their deeds and and we all know that verse right and it says it in revelation it says it all throughout the new testament it says it all throughout the old testament that in the end everyone will be judged according to their works obviously we know that we're not saved by our works the new testament is also very very clear about that but they do matter and we will be judged by them whether good or evil we will be we will be judged for our acts. We are saved, obviously, by our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did, Jesus came as God, lived as a man, a perfect life, was killed as a sacrifice for everyone, both after him and before him. His, his sacrifice covers every sin of the world. And not only that, but he rose and then he ascended back to his rightful throne and is now seated at the right hand of God. And he is, he is there basically preparing and waiting for us. Our faith, James says, is made perfect by our works. Okay, so we are, we are saved by our faith in everything that Jesus did and said, and all the fulfilling work that he did, but our faith is made perfect by our works. And not our works, but doing the will and work of God. So we have faith, and then there's obedience. God says, like, awesome, welcome to the family, I have a job for you. I have that wonderful plan that we talked about, like, now it's time to put that into action. And so that's the obedient life of a Christian. And that's where you start hearing more of the word of God and doing more of the word of God. Jesus said that those who hear what he says and does them is he likens them to a wise man who builds their house on a rock. But those who hear and do not do, that's a foolish man who builds his hand on the sand. And when the 
wind comes, the waves come, that house is not going to stand. So the work of Christ, the work of God is both teaching and doing. The title of the book that we just started the teaching in is The Acts of the Apostles. Most of us just call it Acts, but it's The Acts of the Apostles is, is, is the name of the book. And nobody talks like that. So what does that mean? The word acts, the, uh, to bore you a little bit with the Greek, it comes from a word called praxis. And it literally means works. The, the word acts just means works. Apostles, we all know who the apostles were. We could probably name a bunch of them. But uh, this word in the Greek means sent ones. Okay, sent one. So the title of this series that we are starting tonight is The Work of God Through His People. Okay, because the apostles are sent by God and we the recordings of Luke are what they did as being sent by God. So Jesus tells the apostles, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach to every creature, making disciples, baptizing, right? Further the kingdom of God. That's the commandment. That's what we're told to do. That's what the the apostles are told to do. What we're going to be reading is that work, what they did as being sent by God. So with that in mind, my hope for this series is that it will inspire all of us to, as we talked about with Luke's life, that we will redeem the time that we will seek always to do the will and the work of God and fulfill his plan in each of our lives. That's my hope for this series, and I'm super excited to dive into it. There's a ton that Luke talks about, and there's sort of something for everybody each week. Uh, So much happens in it that it's just like, it's an exciting thing. And what I don't want it to be is just like, and a lot of people will maybe try and say that these are the acts of the apostles, meaning there's no more apostles and there's no more acts. Like all of that's over. This was just to make the foundation and now we're done. The acts of the apostles lives on in us. We are sent by God into our individual lives to fulfill a specific plan And we are empowered to fulfill that plan by the same Holy Spirit that is going to do all the things that Luke records. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We have that spirit and he continues his work. And so that's what I want to sort of see because we're going to see so many of we've been talking a lot about the gifts of the spirit. We've been talking a lot about your personal ministry, and this sort of ties everything in together. We're going to see a lot of the gifts of the Spirit in action, and we're going to see the work of the Spirit through so many different people in the book of Acts. So with that, we can close in prayer and enjoy some cookies and some fellowship. Dear guys, I want to thank you so much for sending Jesus to start this amazing work of the new covenant and empowering the apostles to write the new testament god i pray that you will just reveal yourself to us empower us to do what you have us to do god i pray that you will guide us every step of the way and help us each day help us to um not only be 
introspective and and see where we're misstepping and doing the wrong thing, God, but also seek to bring more people into your kingdom, God, and just show us the ways that you have us to, to do that, God. We know that you have set up things for us to do, and I pray that we will just see those things and seek to fulfill your plan in our lives, God. I pray that you bless this series and speak through me and Johnny and whoever else joins me in this series as we teach through the book of Acts. I pray that you bless the rest of this night and bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.